Okay, thank you, Penny. Good morning again, everyone. So I thought I'd start uh, just with a little update on my daughter's spiritual progress, because I know you're all concerned for that. And um, just uh, thought I'd share what happened yesterday, actually, really encouraging uh, moment. So uh, Kate has regularly been leading uh, or, or praying the Lord's Prayer with Clara, um, but Clara's uh, main objective in these times, uh, which immediately precede the light going off and her supposedly going to sleep, is, of course, to prolong uh, this activity. So yesterday, Clara said, Mummy, can I say the Lord's Prayer this evening? Which was certainly interesting. We weren't aware that any revision of it had taken place and uh, no preparation whatsoever, in fact. So I just thought I'd share with you the highlights and we can rejoice in what Clara has already picked up. The first line, dear God, hello, be your name. (laughs) A little further down, give us today our dolly head. (laughs) And then less comically, but but I think more delightfully, make earth like heaven. Isn't that lovely? We'd all want to echo that sentiment, wouldn't we? Make earth like heaven. But here's the question I want to begin with today. What do we do when it isn't? What do we do when it isn't? Because this passage certainly speaks into an earth that isn't like heaven, doesn't it? It looks pretty disastrous. And let's be honest, it's not that dissimilar to the way our world seems to be going at the moment. It's certainly getting less stable. Christianity is slowly under attack in the West as well as in some of the more oppressive parts of the world. It's a little bit more like the late first century now when many of those predictions that Jesus gave in that passage, and a little bit less like the late 20th century, when progress, peace, and prosperity abounded, and we all firmly believed things could only get better. We even had a song about it. But here's my next question. Is what's happening at the moment in our world, that instability and those other things, is it a good or a bad thing? What would you you say? Who thinks it's a bad thing? Okay, who thinks it's a good thing? Oh, quite a few hands there. And a lot of people who aren't sure. I think we've got a good reason not to be sure because actually the reality of it is the persecuted church often grows far faster than the church that isn't. Let me just give you some examples. The church is growing massively today in some Muslim countries, in some Hindu countries, in some Buddhist countries, in China and in many other former communist nations, all of which were officially atheist. All places facing far worse difficulties than we've encountered here. So what does Jesus say into this situation that we find ourselves in today? What principles does he highlight in this passage that are just as relevant to us? That's what I want to unpack this morning. But let me say straight out that underpinning all of it is that we have to have the main thing as the main thing. For the purpose of the church and God's purpose for our lives, whoever we are, I believe is there in verse 10. The gospel must be preached to all nations and go on being preached for every new generation that there is. And in this country, let's be honest, most of the country have very little idea what the gospel actually is. And let's remember, too, the meaning of the word gospel. What does it mean? Good news. And it really is. 
Do you believe that? Well, if it's true, it has to be the greatest news ever. And by the way, I believe it's true. So today, we're thinking about fulfilling our call, building the kingdom, and growing the church. And what is required of us to do that? It's going to be challenging. So I think we need to pray that we're up for it. We need to pray that we want it more desperately than we want anything else. Because that's what it will take. We've got to be single-minded. We've got to have as the number one priority what is Jesus' number one priority for his church. So let's pray now that God would challenge us, embolden us, reveal to us how we can make a difference and give us some guidelines about what he longs to do in us in the months to come. So let's pray. Father, would you take this challenging passage, would you take us, who so easily take our eye off the ball, who are so easily distracted, who face many complexities in our lives, many competing claims for our time and our heart, And Lord, would you once again set our heart to reflect yours. May we fix our eyes on what you long for us and make that our own longing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So on with the sermon. And I have to say that just like the last passage I preached on from Mark 8, Jesus really knows how to dampen the mood, doesn't he? If you have a look back at that passage and how it begins, Mark 13, and it's, uh, it's really quite strange or funny the way he does it. So one of the disciples says, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. It sort of reminds me of something Clara might say. But actually, we need to remember that the disciples were from the north of the country. It was quite a long way to Jerusalem they hadn't been there very often. In fact, he may, that particular one may not have been there at all. And the first historian, Josephus, tells us that actually the stones were white and that some of them were 37 feet long, 12 feet high, and 18 feet wide. Can you imagine how big that is? That is huge. The temple was astonishingly vast and impressive. And here's an artist's impression on the screen now of what it looked like. That is the scale of it. Absolutely vast. Everyone was astonished when they saw it. The whole of Israel was proud of it, in awe of it. And Jesus' response to those comments, just uh, admiring it and in awe and wonder, are these. Oh yeah, did I not mention it? It's going to be destroyed. No stone will be left on another. (laughs) My goodness, talk about bursting a balloon. Be in no doubt the disciples would have been astonished. So it's not a surprise that as soon as they get the opportunity, a few hours or days later, some of his inner circle, the four fishermen actually, who he first called, Peter, James, John and Andrew, they ask him about it. At a really sort of intimate moment that Mark shares with us, where they're, they're sitting down on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, which I can tell you is the number one most Uh, most popular photo stop in Israel. I've been there. It always has about 25 coaches parked up, and it's where you get this wonderful view. So we'll see that view now. That's the view from the Mount of Olives over to the temple. And what can you see on the temple mount, what was left of the temple? A mosque, one of the most famous mosques 
in the world, actually. That's where they were having this conversation. And this is what they said. Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? And his answer is, to say the least, apocalyptic. There will be wars, earthquakes, false prophets, Christians being arrested, all of which happened huge numbers of times over the next 40 years. And then the prediction of the destruction of the temple itself was finally fulfilled in AD 70. I've been researching it, actually, this week. And there were a series of wars over several decades between the Jewish people, not the Christians, they didn't get involved in this, but the the, Jewish, the other Jewish people were increasingly fighting guerrilla warfare with the Romans. There were a series of wars. The Romans lost all of them. They just, they just couldn't uh, actually destroy uh, the Jewish resistance until AD 70, when they finally managed to take Jerusalem. And Jesus said here, when they get to Jerusalem, when they get to the temple, and if you look forward to verse 14 and 15, he says very directly, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, which I think must be a reference to the Romans occupying the temple, get out of there, out of the city, flee to the mountains, don't look back, don't go back to get your cloak, just evacuate the city. And do you know what? The historians of the time tell us that's exactly what they did. The Jerusalem church, the moment the Romans got to the temple, they scarpered. And it took several days for the Romans to encircle the city and provide those barricades to stop them getting out. And the Jerusalem church were already away. Jesus' prediction came true and his advice saved them. Isn't that amazing? So what would those Jerusalem Christians have thought when they saw the temple or heard of the temple being burnt to the ground. Well, I think they would have been very sad about a building that they and everyone else so revered and loved. But they also would have known this, that if Jesus was right about that, he was going to be right about everything else, including what he had said about the temple not being needed anymore because he was the ultimate sacrifice. No more sacrifices were needed What he said, too, about the new temple being the Christian church, wherever it was found. And even of what Paul said, that our bodies of individual believers, we're the temples of the Holy Spirit as well. And I have to say, that completely accords with my own experience um, visiting Jerusalem. So if you just see the last picture, actually, of of the mosque, or maybe it's the previous one, actually. No, next one after. (laughs) That's it. That is uh, an overhead view of the Temple Mount. You can see the mosque. The mosque occupies a tiny proportion of it. I entered into that area, having to go through several security checks. It's not something tourists normally do, but I wanted to go there. I walked all the way from the far side across to the mosque. I wasn't allowed into the mosque, so I walked over to the other side and left that huge area back through the security. And I'll never forget what I experienced in that huge area, which is truly vast, I only saw three human beings. And it was three Palestinian boys playing football. And I just had this really profound revelation or sense from God of this. God has left the building. He now lives other places in Christian believers' hearts. 
in churches and wherever the gospel is being preached and it's got very little to do with Jerusalem anymore. Obviously, there's still a church there, even though it is struggling. But we are now Jerusalem. We are now the place where God's spirit resides. And just think about what a responsibility we therefore have. So what's my first point? Well, it's this. (laughs) Don't panic. (laughs) God is in control. It's why Jesus says in verse 7, do not be alarmed. He knew it was going to happen. It did happen. And it still is happening today. War, earthquakes, famines, persecution of Christians. And not only is God in control, but that instability and that hostility is actually an opportunity for us. Just as it was for the early church. For what made the Christians get out of Israel, spreading the message of Jesus wherever they went? Do you know? It wasn't so much a calling at that point. It was persecution. They, f- they had to go. And what got them standing before governors, kings, witnessing to them, just as Jesus predicted? Again, persecution. They were put on trial. Read Acts, and it gives many examples. And ultimately, it's those two things that the Holy Spirit knew would happen, that God allowed to happen, that led to the spread of Christianity across the whole Roman Empire. It was evangelism on the ground. It was good deeds and love on the ground. And it was also evangelism and faithfulness in the highest courts of the land, which led 150 years later to the conversion of the Emperor Constantine himself and the whole empire becoming Christian overnight. And it's an opportunity for us too. What happens when we share our faith in a context where it's unfashionable? And let's be honest, in most circles today, it is. When people give us pushback, when they mock us as we try to convince them, and that's happened to me several times recently, it's not nice. I don't like to be laughed at. I don't like to be ridiculed. And the people doing it know it's not nice. But here's the thing. If we share our faith despite getting criticism, despite rejection, despite mockery, despite they knowing we find this difficult and we had to pluck up the courage to do it, despite us going red or stuttering or struggling to find our words, they'll know this. If they're willing to do that despite all of that pushback, all of that embarrassment, all of that pressure, if you like, or that difficulty that they're feeling, well, they really must believe it then. We merely must care about it. And ultimately, some of them will conclude that it must therefore be true and that they too would like to have a relationship with their Heavenly Father like the one that we are so uh, bravely sharing with them. And you can be sure that they came to that same conclusion in the early church when the the disciples were martyred, martyred, because who would die for what they knew to be a lie? Jesus must have risen from the dead. They must have believed, because these guys would know if he hadn't. So look, I know it's easy to be worried or disturbed by what's going on in the world at the moment, the political economic instability, people we don't trust holding the levers of power in Russia or the US or perhaps other places too. Globalization leaving a generation angry and disillusioned. Climate change a threat to so many poorer areas of the world. The world's resources in no way being distributed fairly. Famine and hunger failing to be addressed. 
and in the context of instability, of pessimism, of decreasing standards of living, of disunity, of nations pulling apart. Guess what? People are looking for hope. And we've got it. We offer an eternal security, a positive self-identity, a community of love, and a reason to live. That these things, those things going on in the world and in society, can't threaten The things we have are not dependent on material wealth. They're not dependent on a strong EU. They're not dependent on a a government in America that we like. They're not dependent on a thriving economy. They They can withstand any number of setbacks. And the worse things get, the more people will look for it, look for hope. But here's the thing. It only works if we're willing to tell them. And that's my second point. We need to be willing to put ourselves out there and to put our faith out there. Here's our next slide. We need to take the stand to testify, just like those first Christians were willing to do, to do our bit to grow the kingdom, whether it's witness through words or witness through deeds and love. Now, yes, Jesus does say you must be on your guard in verse 9. But he doesn't mean back off and withdraw. He means step up and engage despite the opposition and the costs we will experience. For Satan wants us to withdraw, to be scared, to be muzzled, to lose confidence. So I would say that in our context, yes, we need to be on our guard, that we will get some pushback so it doesn't disturb us when it happens. But we even more need to be on our guard against Satan tempting us to disengage, to give up, to keep quiet, to hide away. And how does he do that? In two main ways. First, by lying to us and saying it isn't important. And second, by seeking to persuade us that we don't have the stomach for the fight. So what do we need? We need revelation and conviction that growing the kingdom is our calling And that this is what life is all about. We need gratitude for everything that God has given to us through Christ. And a love that so wants to share that good news with others. And we need a realism that it will cost us, even though it's worth doing. It's tough. It's demanding. Growing the kingdom is hard work. It takes discipline and sacrifice, time, money, effort and patience and prayer and a thick skin sometimes. It takes a willingness to take risks and sometimes to fail. It will cost us. We're on the front line if we're doing this. Now don't get me wrong. We still want you coming here to church on a Sunday. But the main reason we want you coming here on a Sunday is so that you would be fired up and equipped to make disciples the rest of the week. We're not to live quietly, timidly, keeping our faith private, taking no spiritual risks. And we're most definitely not called to be comfortable. Being comfortable is a complete anathema to Jesus. Remember what he said to the church of Laodicea, who he condemned for being lukewarm and said he wanted to spit them out of his mouth. Rather, we are called to be on fire. We're called to be red hot with passion and with love, to take risks and to live life on the edge, 
to get out of our comfort zone, to keep the main thing the main thing, and to evaluate our lives, not in terms of the wealth we have accumulated, but the light we have shared. God has a plan for your life and for mine. He's put us here for a purpose, and you can bet your life that purpose will include playing your part in growing the kingdom and through words and deeds sharing this good news. And let me briefly share just three ways you can move forward with this in the next few weeks. Firstly, not this coming week, but the following week for life groups. We've called it Gospel Action Week. And I've got two suggestions. One is you use that meeting that week to sit down, pray at the beginning, God, what could we do to put on an event to invite some of our friends and family and neighbours and colleagues to, just to spend time with them, just to get them to know a little bit better. It might be a meal, it might be a walk, it might be a party, it might be a trip to the sea. Whatever it is, spend that evening or morning, whatever your group meets, planning and praying about an event that you could put on, low-key, but which some people outside your group who don't yet know Jesus would enjoy coming to, Invite them. Let us know what you're doing so we can pray for you and see what happens. We need to be getting out there, just forming relationships. Every group could do that. And you've got an evening to pray and ask God to reveal what what you could do. Or here's the alternative. That same Wednesday is actually the day before Speaker's Corner. Why don't you decide instead not to meet as a group on Wednesday, but instead to all come to Speaker's Corner and all invite someone else to come as well. Why not have a quick meal before it? It's easy. You could do it. Let's do it. Let's make that a week where we take action as a group or as an individual to bring someone a little bit closer to hearing the good news of Jesus, a little bit closer to realizing that Christians are not weird and there's actually people they might want to hang around with. So, That's one thing we can do. I want to share one other final thing as well, which we're going to do in the first three Wednesdays in May. We're running a three-week course in place of life groups. It's called Finding Your Place. And it's going to lead the whole church through a process of exploring what God wants us as individuals to do for him in the next year. What are our passions and our gifts? What are our skills and our experiences? What do we have a holy discontent about? What is God really laying on our hearts? And the consequence of that, as we pray, over the, uh, pray and listen over those three weeks, is that God will reveal to us what he really wants us to do in the next season. That might be a new thing for some. It might mean dropping an old thing for others. Or it might be doing the same thing with renewed sense of calling. Either way, it's a good thing. And it's going to bring those people who feel on the fringe of the church into the center of the church. Because we've all got a part to play. We've all got gifts and callings that we need to discover and enjoy using, playing our part. Well, I've got one final thing to say, but time is going. So let me just remind you that actually we're not doing this on our own. At the end of the Great Commission, Jesus said this, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And he's with us by the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, who gives us the words to say, who knows who he wants us to talk to, who knows which situations he wants us to be involved in, who knows who is open to the gospel, 
who knows what we're capable of, who will give us the places to go, the words to say, the courage to do it, the strength to take the mockery or the pushback or the embarrassment, and who can sow those ideas of what could be if we walk by faith, trust in him, get others praying for it too, and then see what God does. You need to be filled with the Spirit. You need to be bold. And you need to listen to God and say, what are you calling me to do? So this is how I want to finish then today. I want to ask the band just to make their way up because we're about to sing a song, first of all, that really captures what we're being called to from this passage, but I think more generally, as the people of God, we're not called to be a closed shop. We're not called to be a huddle that just uh, stays together, sheltering from a frightening world. We're called to go into a world that is looking for hope with a truth to share with them and with a spirit who can lead us to do miraculous things. So we need courage. So we're going to stand and sing that song in a moment. But first, this is what I want to give the opportunity for some of us who are ready for this to do tonight. As Kate and I have been reflecting on this passage and this sermon over the last week, we felt called that actually we should give an opportunity for some people to take a stand, to come up here to the front And to do so because they want to ask God to do something difficult in their lives. Why would they do that? Because actually, it's difficult things that often have the huge impact on the kingdom of God. It's an opportunity to actually say, I'm going to take a step towards what God wants for us all. I'm going to actually step out of my comfort zone. I'm going to ask that he would do something difficult in me that involves giving up something significant, that involves sacrifice, that involves taking a risk, that involves putting myself out there because I know that if I do that, he will show up, something significant will happen for the kingdom and I will change. I'll now be one of those people, one of those foot soldiers on the front line who took some territory. And whatever situation you're in today, this still could be exactly the right thing for you. So, the band's going to start the song. We're going to sing it. If you don't know it, why not listen to the first verse and chorus and then join in. And then anyone who wants to, throughout this song, just come and sing at the front here continuing just to look at the words on the screen. And when the song finishes, I want to just ask you all to to kneel and I want to pray for you all, not one by one. It won't take long. I just want to pray for you to be equipped, filled with the Spirit, equipped, and that God would do that difficult thing in you that you know he's calling you to do, even though you may not know what it is yet. Okay? That's the opportunity. Shall we stand and sing and then come forward as you feel it.